Join me in Hebrews 5. If you're not there already, Hebrews chapter 5. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning as we gather here together corporately as your church, we rejoice in the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice even in the truths that we have proclaimed in song this morning of the amazing grace of God, the riches of your mercy that are new every morning. And Heavenly Father, we rejoice in that because we know our hearts and we are sinners. And even as we come this morning, we confess our sins. We are a sinful people. And yet your mercy and your grace is greater still. And in that we rejoice. We know that we are undeserving. And yet we know your forgiveness. Heavenly Father, we pray that even in this hour, as we look at this passage, that your spirit would work through the word of God That you would challenge us. That you would call us to wake up from our slumber. To see the cross of Jesus Christ. And the hope that we have in him. And not to take it lightly. That our affections would be stirred for you even this morning. Work in our hearts and our lives, Heavenly Father. Be honored in all that is said and done. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I am not a car mechanic in any sense of the word. I don't know the first thing about engines. And so on my car, whenever that little check engine light comes on, I don't ignore it. It's not something I just kind of YouTube it and check it myself. I take it in to get checked, or I call up my brother-in-law, Peter, who knows a lot more about cars than I do. And he gives me some pointers. It's an important little light. Check engine. It's not something to be taken lightly or to be ignored. It doesn't necessarily tell us what the problem is. It just says there's something that could be wrong. Check it out. As we come to our passage this morning, there is something that is very wrong. The author of Hebrews is writing to his audience. And he is saying, guys, your, your check engine light is on. And there is a big problem here. 
there is a big problem. Do not ignore it. Don't take it lightly. As you work your way through, as we work our way through this passage this morning, we'll see the core issue, the cold truth, and then the clear challenge. First thing we see this morning is the core issue. Here in Hebrews 5, verse 11. Of whom we have much to say. It's kind of an odd place to start. It seems like we're starting there in the middle of a sentence. And, and we are starting in the middle of a sentence of a thought. And so I want to back up, actually, and start in verse 5. And that of whom will make a lot more sense. Verse 5 of chapter 5 says this. So also... Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. He also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now we come to our verse. Of whom we have much to say. Of whom. This of whom is of Jesus Christ. It is of this revelation that we see here that he is called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. It is that this Jesus Christ is a perfect, kingly high priest. He is the source of salvation. And there is much to be said of this. This is not just merely a, a passing point. Melchizedek, this whole Melchizedekian high priest, the idea that, that Jesus is called as a high priest like him and not according to, to the order after Aaron, that he is a kingly priest. This is not just a passing point. It is a deep theological truth that is full of application. And you need to, to, to get this. You need to hear this. But you can't. I have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. I picture almost a, a, a grandfather figure or a father who's sitting down and he's teaching his, his, his young son or grandson. And he starts getting kind of, the grandson or the son starts getting kind of distracted and he's, he's looking around and he's, he's starting to pick up his toys or, or whatever it may be and the grandfather grabs him by the shoulder and says, listen, you need to get this. This is important, but, but you're getting distracted. You're becoming dull of hearing. This is important. And really what we see here in verse 11 is the core issue of the book of Hebrews. This is the whole reason why he's writing to them. In fact, you can trace it all the way back from the beginning of the book of Hebrews, back in chapter 2, verse 1. After laying this foundation of God's revelation through the prophets and through Jesus Christ, the Son exalted above the angels, he comes to chapter 2, verse 1, says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. 
attention to this so you don't drift. Then again in verse 3 there, chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Don't neglect. Don't drift. Chapter 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Check yourself. Beware. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Fear. Take it seriously. Chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Be diligent. Don't fall. Chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast. All of this language, pay attention, don't neglect, take care, fear lest you fall, strive so that you don't fall, hold fast our confession. All of this language is pointing to something, and that is the fact that there is a serious problem here. The reason why the author of Hebrews so desperately and passionately warns against falling away is because he knows his audience. He knows their lack of progress and the faith, the failure of their fruit, and he is clearly frustrated with them, and he fears for them. This is the reason for he is, why he is writing. This is the core issue of the entire book of Hebrews. The deep theology of Hebrews. That's often how we think of the book of Hebrews, is it not? There is some deep theology. There is some awesome truths in here. But it comes down to this, that the deep theology of Hebrews has a very practical purpose, and it is to stir the affections of his audience, to wake them from their slumber, to point them back from Christ, to, to grab them by the shoulders and to say, you are in danger of hellfire. It's almost shocking to us, is it not? I thought he was writing to believers. He is, at least he thinks he is. But where's the fruit? Where's the passion? Where's the faith? Where's the evidence? You claim this, but you are in danger of hellfire. And that's why he pleads with them, Pay attention. Don't neglect this great salvation. Take care. Fear lest you fail. Strive so that you don't fall. Hold fast your confession. Why? Because as we see here, there is much to say, but you have become dull of hearing. The problem is not the difficulty of the subject. It's the immaturity and the laziness of the audience. You have become dull of hearing. Dull. That's the idea of laziness. You are lazy. 
when you hear the word of God, it doesn't stir inside of you. It doesn't work. You don't, you don't apply it to your lives. You're too lazy. And what is scary about this reality that we see here in Hebrews 5.11, what is scary about the issue that we see in these believers is that this is not active rebellion. Right? That, that's easy to spot. It's easy to spot someone who's just thrown it all aside and, and denied the faith and walked out and, and they just, they all together just rebel. That's almost easier to see and easier to deal with. This is just plain indifference. When Chris and I first moved from Indianapolis to here, I was talking with someone about the, the differences, because Altoona, Iowa is a much different culture than the near east side of Indianapolis. It's just, it's different. And so we were talking, what, what are the differences? You know, that must have been so hard, working in such a, a, a difficult place. The reality is it's not really any harder than here. It's just different. There, they were in open and rebellion. Those kids didn't care. They told you all of their problems because they just didn't care. So then I knew what I was dealing with right from the start. Here, we tend to more bottle up inside. It's not so easy to see who is struggling. It's not so easy to see who is straying. That's the issue here. It's not open rebellion. It's just it's, it's indifference. It is laziness. In fact, this idea of dullness of hearing or laziness kind of uh, works as barriers to this whole section of Scripture going from here to verse 12 of chapter 6. We see the same language there. Uh, if you will look with me in chapter 6, verse 12. As he comes kind of to the end of this whole pause that he takes to grab them by the shoulders and shake them to wake them up, he says this, you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith, uh, who through faith and patience inherit the promise. That word sluggish is the same word that we see here for dull. It is laziness. It is just plain indifference. You have become dull of hearing. The word of God doesn't affect you. You don't care. And there is a lot for you to learn. But I can't even tell you because you just plain don't care. That's the core issue. As you move on to verse 12, here we see the cold truth. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. This is where you should be. By this time, you ought to be teachers. 
If you remember back from when we were first introducing the book of Hebrews and, and getting going here, the, the book of Hebrews is written to, to believers coming out of um, the law, coming out of Judaism. Most likely, there's evidence in the book, it seems to be, that these are second generation Christians. Even as you see in chapter 2, verse 3, where the author says this, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. They heard him and they've passed it on to us. So these are not new believers. Many of them are likely second generation believers. Some of them probably grew up with parents who believed and told them. They know the truth. They've heard it many times over. And you ought to be teachers. That doesn't mean that, that the author of Hebrews is saying that everyone should, you know, eventually become a teacher or a preacher. But the idea is you should be able to articulate this. You should be able to apply this. But you can't. You should be teachers, and yet you need someone to teach you again. Again, it's, it's not just that you've not progressed as you should, but you seem to have regressed. Not only have you not learned anything new, you've forgotten what you did learn. The first principles, these most basic truths of the oracles of God, the oracles or sayings, what God has said, Scripture, We see a hint of what these oracles of God, these first principles that he's talking about in chapter two, 6, verses 1 to 2. As we'll see, Lord willing, next week, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, these first principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. But what are these things? Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. One of these basic principles is that salvation is by faith and not by works. You know this. And yet you keep running back to the law. You keep running back to, to what you have done or how good you are, how your church attendance is, or how much you read the Bible. The family that you grew up in, you keep clinging to that. But guys, this is basic doctrine. Salvation is by faith alone. This is a basic principle. Repentance from the dead works of faith toward God, verse 2, of the doctrine of baptisms. You're confused about baptism. This simple rite that we have where you proclaim, I'm a believer and I want you to know. You're confused about that. Of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. These, these are basic things. And I have to teach you again. You have come to need milk and not solid food. 
to need milk. This illustrates their immaturity. You need milk. Basic building blocks, easy to digest. Not solid food. Solid food is for those who are strong, those who are mature, those who are developed, even as we'll see going on into verse 13 and 14. But you need these just basic building blocks, these basic nutrients that you should have grown past long ago. But your laziness has stunted your growth. And it really makes me wonder if you ever really believed and it fills me with fear for you. Because you have become dull of hearing. That's a hard truth to hear as a people. And yet it's one of those hard truths that is necessary. The author of Hebrews isn't writing this to these believers because he hates them. He's writing this to them because he loves them and he cares for them. And he, and, and he doesn't want them to spend an eternity separated from God. He wants them to see the glories of Christ. To worship God with him. To have their affections stirred. So, the clear challenge of verses 13 and 14. So we move forward into verses 13 and 14. The, the author of Hebrews here sticks with this idea, this illustration of milk and solid food. For anyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. First, note that phrase, only of milk. It is not that milk is bad. Milk is good. It is necessary. But milk by itself is entirely insufficient. In fact, even in 1 Peter 2, Peter uses the same illustration. Chapter 2, verse 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Peter's telling his audience to, to desire that milk. And he's writing to new believers. They need that milk. It is good. But it's entirely insufficient for all of life. Milk alone is dangerous. Does not nature itself show us that mammals... And humans are not intended to produce or to survive on milk forever, but to progress beyond that. But you're stuck on only milk. And anyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he's a babe unskilled in the word of righteousness. The word of righteousness, again, the gospel. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works, as Ephesians 2, 9 tells us. It is the basic building blocks of the gospel, of the Christian life, and you are unskilled in it. Mm -hmm. 
unskilled, obviously. They believe it. At least the author of Hebrews hopes that they believe it. They think, he thinks that they believe it. He's, he's writing to them as if they are believers. But beyond basic belief, they have no understanding beyond simple childlike faith. How can they go and make disciples if they can't even articulate the gospel? How can you fulfill the Great Commission if you've not progressed beyond milk? There's a time for that. There's also a time to grow beyond that. Last year, I had the privilege of leading Clinton and Judah to salvation in Christ. As we were driving to school one day, they were asking questions, and, and, and they both together were like, well, we, we want to believe. We're ready. We understand. And there's been some things that we've struggled with in the last year. They're growing slowly but surely in Christ. But I would say at this time that they are unskilled in the word of righteousness. I would not, you know, if, if, if Daniel, think of Daniel, who recently got saved, we're trying to set up times to disciple Daniel, I would not sit Clinton and Judah alone in a room with Daniel and say, all right, guys, disciple him. They're, they're unskilled. They know enough to believe to salvation. They know that they are sinners. They know that their sin separates them from God. They know... Uh, that Jesus died for their sins, that he rose again victorious, that he is pleading for them at the right hand of the Father. They know that, they believe that, and they are saved, but they're not skilled in the word of righteousness. They still need the first principles of the oracles of God, this milk, and that is okay. It's not even just for a five-year-old who's saved, but a, a 50-year-old who's saved. Right? There's a time where, where that's okay, where that's good, but hopefully they'll progress beyond that. If Clinton and Judah get to the point where they're 25 and they still have no better understanding of the gospel than they do now at 5, then we have a serious problem. Here there is a serious problem. How is it that you are unskilled? And this word of righteousness, this basic building blocks, the Christian life, the gospel itself. Contrasted with this milk is the solid food. The solid food belongs to those who are of full age. The word is the idea of perfect, but it's the idea of mature. You have grown up to the, to, to the point where you know, you've kind of reached that level. You're beyond milk. You can handle solid food, meat, beyond childish things. That is, he goes on to explain in case you didn't get that, those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Those who by reason of use, 
Note there, reason of use. Maturity does not come with time, but with practice. It is as you read the Word of God. It is as you sit under the preaching of the Word of God. It is as you sit down with someone who is discipling you. And it is as, not just as you hear, but as you respond. As the Spirit works within you and you say, you know what? That is right. I am wrong. I need to confess that. I need to fix this relationship. I need to be more disciplined here. I need to do that and do this. It is as you recognize that, by reason of use through the Word of God and discipleship and the preaching of the Word, the maturity comes. You might say, well, I, I, I recognize, you know, even in this passage, I see myself. I know that I should not be dull of hearing. I know that I should not be lazy in this. I know that I should be passionate about the gospel. That I should be stirred when we sing. That I should long to be with my brothers and sisters at church. I know what, what, what I should do. I just I don't feel it. How do I grow beyond this? By reason of use. How do you grow? You read scripture, you study scripture, you memorize scripture, you share scripture, you sit under the preaching of the word of God. That's how you grow. By reason of use. That's those who are mature, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. And what does it look like? Discerning both good and evil. That's maturity. Discerning both good and evil, it is the ability to think through the implications of the gospel and to apply it to life. It's when someone doesn't have to come and say, hey, that's wrong. But it's when you understand the gospel to the point where you're studying it and you see who God is and you see who you are and you recognize, wow, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. This is what I should be doing. This is right. When you know what the Bible says and you are able to apply it to yourself, when you are tender to the Spirit at work when you, within you, when you are wise enough to listen and to learn, we understand this principle in life. That there are those who are mature and those who are not mature. We understand that it would be foolish to give, you know, $500 worth of fireworks to a bunch of 12-year-olds. It's not that they're not able to light them themselves. It's that they're just not quite to the level where they could think through, hmm, this would be a good idea. Or this wouldn't be a good idea. They're just not. They're not able to, to really, I mean, there's some things where a 12-year-old can say, okay, this is obviously wrong. But hopefully by the time you're 35, you're much wiser. You've learned, you've grown, you've matured. And the same, same is true spiritually. Spiritual maturity is the ability to discern both good and evil, to apply the word of God to your life. To all of life. Now what does this have to do with us? 
As we come to the end of these four verses, as the author of Hebrews here identifies the core issue that he is addressing within these believers, as he pauses from his bigger message to kind of call them out, to call their attention to this, As your pastor, it is not my responsibility to coddle you. To soften the message of scripture when it is difficult to accept or to quiet the spirit's voice in you. It is my responsibility to call your attention to that. To say, listen. To preach the whole counsel of God and to call you to response as the spirit works. And yes, this is a difficult passage. This is one of those passages that just, it stings as you read it. And I would call you this morning, don't ignore that. If your engine light is going off, check it. Be honest with yourself. I believe it's of a divine appointment that we find ourselves in Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, this morning on the first Sunday of a new year. I don't know that I could have picked a better New Year passage. Because maybe as we read this passage, maybe the Spirit has pricked your heart. And maybe you're saying, you know what, this is describing me. And it hurts because I, I want to have that passion. I, I, I want to, to better understand. I want to grow in the Lord. And I recognize my failings. I recognize my weakness. I recognize that I have, I have fallen back. We find ourselves at a new year. An opportunity to look back, to remember, but then to move forward. And if you find yourselves there this morning, I would say to you, Amen. Rejoice that the Lord has opened your eyes to that. Confess your sin. Repent of your apathy, of your dullness of hearing, and cry out to the Lord. And he will give you new mercy each morning. Fight to grow in the new year. Maybe you took the time to make some New Year's resolutions this year. But did you take time to consider your soul? Let that be this morning. Pause and consider your soul and where are you at? How is your soul doing? And if you are growing, praise the Lord. Keep it up. Fight. But if you have failed, there is mercy that is greater than your failings. Even as we just sang earlier, his mercy is more. So confess your failings and turn to Christ and find the strength to grow. I believe that the author of Hebrews is honest assessment that his readers have become dull in hearing and have stalled in their Christian lives. That they have lost 
any initial passion that they may have had, it is just as applicable to you and to me as it was to them. Even this morning as Jim was going through Malachi, I was having that same thought. This fits perfectly with our morning message. In Malachi, the Israelites had, had lost that. Their worship had grown cold and ritual, ritualistic. And I fear that in many American churches, the same thing has happened. Maybe even in this church. Maybe even in your heart. And it is eternity that is at stake. Life and death. And so brothers and sisters, I would call you this morning as we step into a new year. Confess your sin and find mercy. Commit to grow. If you don't already have a plan to read the Bible, find one. I'll help you find one. I think, that, I think out on the Welcome Center, there's still those little things this year. There's little booklets that give you a, a guide to read through the Bible in a year. Maybe you think, well, that, that sounds kind of, I don't know that I can get through the Bible in a year. That's fine. You don't have to start there. Just start by reading through the book of Romans. Or start by reading through the book of John. Start with a book. Or Psalms. Then once you finish that book, find another book. And then another book. And if it takes you five years to get through the Bible, that's fine. Just read. Just soak in the word of God. Commit not just to reading the word personally. Commit to being faithful in church. This is God's plan for this dispensation. That we would gather together. That we would sit under the word of God. That we would not forsake the gathering together. This is the habit of son. That we would gather. That we would sit under the word preached. That we would proclaim the truths of the gospel through song. That we would worship through giving. That we would love and serve one another. Go all in with church. Soak in the word of God. Be faithful by reason of use. That's how you grow. By reason of use. I must admit this passage was a challenge to me this week. I know that I have a lot to do in my own life. And I pray that if the Lord's working on you, that you will respond. That you won't try to just ignore that little light that's going off. That you will take seriously what we have heard. Because it's not just your status in this church. If you get the gospel wrong, you are in danger of hellfire. Don't take it lightly. Search your heart. Be honest with yourself. 